The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. Imagine the Philistine getting killed by a hoe. Yeah, hoes. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you laugh today? Yeah, come up here. We'll beat you up. <laughs> yeah, frick soul. That's what I learned from this. Uh, he's a sinner just like you and I. Dang it. You're right. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Second Rate Saints podcast. I'm Joshua, and to my left... I am Colton, and to my left... It's me again. So, you're probably wondering, where are Caleb, Joel, and Stuart? Well, Stuart's Stuart- where he always, always is. <laughs> yeah. In Zimbabwe. Um, yep. And editing our podcast episodes. Uh, Joel and Caleb could not make it um, because... What what's the reason they could not make it? Let's let's make it up. Well, like on the spot on air. Yeah, Kilton, right now you make the canon reason why they're not here. Uh, they're dead. I don't know. Oh no! <laughs> why didn't you tell me that before we started the podcast? <laughs> I don't know, man. It didn't seem like the right the right time. <laughs> okay, so they're not dead. Uh, they just couldn't be here. Yep. Uh, but this dead, is it. dead to me. That's why I meant. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's just the two of us, mm. but that's fine because we've done an episode together. Yeah. We did the very first Samuel episode together. Like, yeah, this. yeah, it was great. And now we're going to do, I think, I think we have the best Samuel episodes. Not going to lie. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me tell you about your, our social media. We have mm-hmm. YouTube, Spotify. We have an Instagram where yep. we post short videos. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, what do we else do we have? We have Twitter, no, kind of. No, we don't. Twitter doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. We have X. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> we have threads. We do. Jumped on there. Yeah. Joel's been very, Right-wing very Twitter, good. yeah. <laughs> um, Even though it's by Facebook, but yeah. whatever. Um, it is funny, though, now that they both have the same color scheme. <sighs> I, don't talk to me about it. It's dumb. It's stupid. So we also have a website. And on our website, you have links to all our Spotify, YouTube, and all that stuff. But you also have the book reviews we do yep. after the What Have You Read books. You have our blog. and You have a yeah, link to our videos, uh, to our social media sites, yeah. uh, and to our email, which yep. then you can send if you like something in the podcast or just want to reach out to us for whatever mm-hmm. reason to yell at us. You know, yep. That'd be kind of funny. Uh, but we, we hope it's encouraging. Um, but encouraging yell, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you have questions or you have thoughts that you would like us to discuss, we, if they're good, yep. uh, they will appear on thoughts in real time episodes. Yes. And as, as we've talked about in, well, the intro of every single video plus throughout almost every video and podcast we record, so we, we were wanting conversation, whether that's one-on-one mm-hmm. through email or on uh, YouTube, uh, comments, there's like 20 different ways you can actually get in contact with us. So if you're feeling, you know, you just want to reach out, say anything at all, please do. We, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So normally Joel does that. 
That's mm. fine, though. Um, we miss Joel. We miss Caleb. We yep. miss Stuart. We miss all but one of those people. <laughs> we won't say who. Um, so I read a book. It took me a long time to read it. Way mm-hmm. too long. Um, Didn't you tell me it was a short story? It is multiple <laughs> short stories. Oh, okay. It's probably like 30. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Some of them like four or five pages. Some of them like 20, 30 pages. Okay. Um, but it just it just took me forever to get through them. Um, well, you finish one and you're like, okay, well, I can put it down now. <laughs> exactly. I don't yeah. want to start another. Yeah. Um, so. What is it? It's called, uh, it's a really weird name. It's called The Winds 12 Quarters. Um, okay. Kind of, it's a, like a Germanic English use of a similar term as like the four, the mm. four corners of the earth. Yep. So it's like, these are all stories from all different directions in life. Right, from so everywhere. Some them, from some of them are sci-fi. Some of them are time travel. That's some of them are cool. fantasy. Some of them are just people. Right. Um, and I mentioned one of them on a, what have you read um, before? But what I really like about this series is um, who, this book. Who, who compiled it? It's a woman named Ursula L. Legine. Okay. She's French. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote this book in like the 50s. Okay. Um, it's, it's, she has some really good ideas and she wrote one of the short stories that stuck out. I'll get to in a second. Um, but she wrote some really good stories. One sci-fi story that stuck out was there's, it's this, these, uh, miners in like four star systems away. Mm -hmm. Um, and they get a, it's these two guys. And they've been mining for, you know, they're like in their 40s. They're classic miners. Uh, and they get, and they're mining an asteroid. Um, okay. And they get uh, a new batch of clones. And so miners, a new technology within the world is these clones of this like one guy, both male and female. Um, but there's a significant person in history that they, they make clones of because his DNA was the most optimal for that. Um, and they can change the genetics at the fetus so that there's equal amounts of girls and equal amounts of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they join this team and they're intelligent and strong and fast. And they, they each studied a different field. Okay. So that when they went on this trip together, they were, uh, they were a complete team. Okay. Uh, and they were efficient because they all thought the same way. And they were um, competent and great. And the other two miners who were just these guys who are aging, who are old. Um, and these clones are like in their 20s, right? And they're like, this is the future of humanity. We're going to lose. Look how fast, look how hard they work. They're better. They're smarter. And they're right. all on the same track. They mm. understand each other. There's none of these issues of like people coming from different cultures and different worlds, blah, blah, blah. And having to struggle with that. Okay. And different like intelligences. Um, but then what happens is one of the guys goes away to get some stuff at another space station, comes back. One of the other guys is at, is at a computer. And while all the clones are in the mine mm. and there's a shift within the mine, the asteroid and the mine collapse, except for one of them. And he gets out and the rest of the, the other nine clones die. Okay. Um, and 
he comes out and he's traumatized because he's never lived alone. Mm. And these guys kind of like help him and raise him until, and like, like keep him healthy, help him deal with stuff. And he realizes they realize that he's incapable without them because mm. he relied on them for so much. Right. And he's never been alone. And so he doesn't know what to do. Um, and then a new set of clones come by because of this tragedy and he sees them together and it just makes him sad. But eventually he starts to, to work with them and he, and it's like this comparison of, people who a group that is all the same and a group that is diverse and the group that is all the same all die together because they make the same mistake. Yes, they have all the same successes, okay. but they all die because they make the same mistake. Interesting. But the group that's diverse because they're different doing their own thing, they have freedom of thought and mm. diversity of thought and diversity of action. They don't, they don't die in the mind. Not everybody dies. Hmm. And so it's like, yes, we might be able to make clones that are better but they're going to be the same. But they'll all, they'll all fail together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they have the same shortcomings. Yeah. Yeah. And so hmm. this guy and the clone then becomes an individual. Okay. Because he's the last one that remains and he doesn't have the others there around him. And it's a really interesting. Hmm. Um, What's the name of that one? That one is, do you have the list in front of you? This is the wins 12 quarters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a list of can I the see? 17. Yeah. It is, I think it's nine lives. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. Nine lives um, because the nine die and he lives. Right. The 10th lives. Um, so it's an interesting short story. That's kind of the, and I mentioned the other one before, but it's a, it's a really good book. Okay. Cover sucks. Um, I was just about to say, is this the cover? This no. is the Wikipedia one. No, no, it's a, like a white it. cover with like a field, like a hill. And it's just like, so uh, it's like the windows background from windows XP. <laughs> yeah, I see. Okay. <laughs> it's not great. Um, out of five. Oh, one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, you might disagree because I, I almost certainly will. Cause I have every other time, but, <laughs> um, I do yeah. find it funny. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's that's what have you read? Yeah, a lot of different stories about different people experiencing yeah. different things. Yeah. Speaking of people going through different things, <laughs> I don't know. I can't call them. Can we call you Master of Transition? They call me the Master Segway. <laughs> okay, but like you know the ride one. Yeah. So we're talking about Saul, yep. as we normally do mm -hmm. in the Book of Samuel. Yep. Um. We're on chat. We're doing chapter 13 and 14 today. Um, Samuel's barely in these. Yeah. Both of these chapters. For the first time. I think he's only mentioned once. Yes. Um, yeah. So what to give like a review is mm. we've talked about Elkanah versus Eli, mm. a righteous man, an obedient man, a pious man. And that was chapter one. Who was not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then you've got. Hopney and Phineas, Eli's sons versus Elkanah's son, Samuel. Mm. And Remember Samuel's. the name Phineas. It comes back up. <laughs> um, and they're, they're bad. Eli's sons are bad, but his son, Samuel, is mm. great. And then you've got um, kind of like... Israel sucks. Israel sucks. Yeah, Israel really sucks. That's, I think you can sum up the past... 
10 chapters and Israel sucks. Yeah. Israel wants a king now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God gives them a king. Uh, and God charges that king, Saul, with, hey, you got to protect my people. Mm. You got to honor me, worship me, obey me. Um, and you've got to be, you got to be me to the people when they need help. Yeah. For 400 years, I've rescued people. Yeah. You represent the people to me. I represent, you represent me to the people as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and, but God tells them that they've rejected him mm-hmm. because of their decision to want a king against God. Cause God's the king. And they've now said, no, we don't want God to be king. We want a man to be king. Mm. So that put a damper on things. Um, and But Saul's done a good job. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesied. He defeated Nakash, the Ammonite, who came against his people um, in in a rage and mm. defeats them. He's He's doing a good job. Mostly. Except for Samuel and God both don't really like him that much. Samuel hasn't said anything yet. Yeah, not from his own mouth. He's yeah. spoken the words of the Lord, which is, this is yeah. the guy you wanted. Yeah. And that's well, pretty much it. And this is what's interesting, right? Is because God tells him, Saul, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's you're going to be king now, right? I'm Bola. Um, and he had, doesn't mention any disdain for him. The only disdain you kind of get is when he says, this king is the one you wanted. Mm. I've chosen him, but you wanted this guy. You chose him. Um, and so it this is an act of rejection. But Saul right now is in good standing because hmm. there's no reason for God to dislike Saul. Saul hasn't done anything. He actually hasn't done anything except for fighting the Ammonites. And that was because the Holy Spirit came upon him. Yes. <laughs> so Saul hasn't done anything. Yeah, not much of his, of his own free will. He has done practically nothing. <laughs> yeah. And these chapters are about to show that everything he does of his own free will is pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is how we have to get into it. Yep. Uh, chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. Saul lived for one year and then nope. became king. No. Nope. Keep going. <laughs> and when he had reigned for two years over Israel. Nope. <laughs> uh, Colton, what's happening? Sorry. Uh, Why is Saul You must be using the message or a different translation that's clearly wrong right because that's not what my bible says no this is the esv oh yeah but mine's the niv oh so you said that he reigns for one yeah he lived one year and then he reigned two years right yeah well mine says that he was 30 and when he became king and reigned over israel 42 years colton what's happening why uh, would the bible be doing this to it's us called a translation problem <laughs> is it a translation problem or is it a source problem it's usually the same problem <laughs> so what's break it down what's happening here uh, so different versions of the text, th- things like the Masoretic text versus the Septuagint or yeah. earlier copy or earlier fragments versus later fragments and stuff yeah. are going to say, they do say different things. Yes. This happens throughout the Bible. It's a very old text. This happens with yeah. non-biblical books yeah. all the time, all the yeah. time. Um, here there are some texts, the Hebrew seems to mention the one and two. Yeah. The problem is that a lot of people have problems with that because Saul was not one years old when he became king. Yeah. Because, you know, unless he's a very, very tall one year old, 
<laughs> it's very explicit that he is a, he is a very handsome and tall yeah. man, baby. And from the story, we know he's not a year old. Yeah. Also, he has a son, and that would be a little <laughs> weird. But yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other text says he's thirty and reigned for forty two years. Yes. So, what I saw from that is the reason there's the difference is because the old text, which said. Um, one and two, mm. the the pieces of the text are parts of it are missing, yeah. and it looks like through study the two is actually part of another word, mm. and so it's probably forty two because of the, the yeah, age also, of Samuel and how when we know David became king yes, with David especially yeah yeah that he's he's reigned for 2 years mm. and he's going to reign for 40 yeah. so his total reign because this is the this is a capstone on Saul's kingship mm. um so he's he's going to reign he's going to have reigned for 42 years because like we see in the book of Kings and Chronicles it'll tell you at the beginning of the story how long the king Yeah, I think it does it for every single one. It might Mm -hmm. skip one or two. I don't remember in Chronicles, but either way. Yeah. It's a pattern that we see throughout the Bible, the uh, parts of the Old Testament that cover historical narrative. Yeah. Um, And so another interesting thing is when it says he's king here, Mm. before it said prince, when it used king, uh, and that word Nagal is chieftain. Chieftain, person in charge. Yeah. One who rules. Yeah. Yeah. But now he's Melech, king. The def- definite king. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's like when it says he he's one year old or he lived for one year and then became king, mm. it's kind of saying he was chieftain for a year and now he's going, now he's king. Right. And this is the beginning of his 42 years of reign. Yep. I can't remember. And then some people say... That it's because it's been mentioned that he was 30 years old when he was mm-hmm. coronated that they just throw in the 30 yeah. with the one and just make it easier for people to read, basically. Is that the yeah. argument? Yeah. So it's just more for the sake of ease that it's read this way rather than believing that Saul was one years old. Yeah. Translation problem. Whereas whereas ESV's translation ethic is... As let's, original to the source yeah. and oldest source yeah. as possible. And yeah. the reader should get to know what's actually happening here. Mm-hmm. So, because we don't want to change what the Bible says. Whereas the Sept- authors of the Septuagint. <laughs> right, because everyone were, else does, yeah. Because <laughs> the authors of the Septuagint were like, no, let's write 30. <laughs> yep. It may, it'll make more sense to that person reading it. Yeah. And so that's a. Which is fair. Yeah. It's just, you know, it, it creates problems. Yeah. Anyway, that was a long tangent on the very first verse of the, of the story. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this for every other one, right? Yeah. And so. Be here for four hours. <laughs> four-hour-long podcast. We'd be like Joe Rogan. Oh, we can go longer than that. Yeah? Oh, I 100% believe we could go for eight hours. It's just, he'll become incomprehensible. <laughs> we would... Yeah, okay, let's stick to... Let's talk about let's that after. Let's please not do that. <laughs> so, it goes on to say that Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash at the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah and Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines. That was at Geba, Jeba, however you want to pronounce it, Gifjif. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all of Israel saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it say that 
Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. Mm. And so the Philistines muster up an army of 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen uh, and troops like the seashore in multitude. Yes. Yeah. Literally millions, right? <laughs> Literally. They have no light pollution at this time. R- right. So they're seeing like at the top of a mountain in the middle of northern Canada, mm. like a bajillion stars. Yes. And sand just everywhere. And it's just like, yeah, that many. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Urukai uh, in front of... Uh, Helm's Deep in the second Lord of the Rings movie. Exactly. It just goes on. Um, So what's actually happening here is, as we discussed previously with the Philistines at the Battle of the Ark with the Ark of the Covenant, Mm -hmm. is the numbers for armies are inflated Mm. to present how large or how uh, how, uh, outnumbered Israel is to show how great God is in his defeat. Um, so if you do some math, the idea of horsemen and chariots, the horsemen are the ones that are in the chariots and there's 6,000 horsemen and 30,000 chariots. chariots. So they just have a bunch of random horses running around. (laughs) So the idea is, is in each chariot, there's two men Mm -hmm. and the 30,000 is an inflation of 3,000. Right. And so there's 6,000 so men. Sure? The reason is, is because uh, different texts mm. will say 3,000 versus 30,000 um, with the same idea of previously with the the age of Saul, what's mm. easier to understand later on. So like later on text will say 3,000, earlier text will say 30,000. And then also from the, the knowledge of like when you read Greek texts or when you read Assyrian texts, it's we brought 4 million men. Yeah. And then, like, you go look at the wreckage of the battle, and it's like five guys ten, showed up. Ten guys. <laughs> it's okay, but yeah, the Bible doesn't hyperbolize, right? Uh, and Jesus this, does. This chapter, no, no, but this chapter doesn't hyperbolize at all, well, right? We already saw evidence that it does. Oh, right. When it <laughs> says that there's as numerous as the seashore, right? Yeah, yeah. The Don't. only the only reason I'm being so snarky about this is because I have heard people, yeah, you know, especially some fundamentalists. Talk yep. about it's a literal thing. Yeah. So take it literally because it says a number, believe that number. And fine, but we should probably also put in the yeah. idea that, you know, 30,000 chariots doesn't make sense if there's only 6,000 people to do it. And yeah. the Bible is clearly throwing in some emphasis here yeah. to show up the scale of the army. And an easy hermeneutic trick, mm. which people understandably don't know, forget, something like that, is... When you read something, you have to read it like the author wrote it or the people at the time understood it. So, for example, um, when we write novels now, there is a pattern that we write. We don't write the way Shakespeare wrote. Yeah. So we don't write the same way that French people write. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to read it understanding the rules of the literature so that you know how to read it. And the rules of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. What what do people of that time read? Yeah. Um, right. And what so, do they do? Yeah. yeah. How do they think? What what phrases do they use? 
Yeah. And so, for example, you'll see when we write stories, we write them with a story arc of, you know, the, the intro, the rising action, the the climax, the denouement, mm. right? Like that's the pattern of a novel. Um, in Hebrew literature, they often write with chiasm, which yep. is it. The climax is in the middle of the story, not at the near end. Yeah. Or at least less, and which seems like a less mm -hmm. rigid. I mean, when you start talking about structure, mm -hmm. it sounds more structured than ours. But yeah. we have a very sim, like almost all of our literature follows a very similar pattern, whereas theirs yeah. would not, depending yeah. on genre or uh, exactly. who's writing it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas and Kaiser might be thrown in despite it not really making sense in narrative narratively. Yeah. Um, it's just like, oh, it's emphasizing a certain point that is not trying to take away from the main point, but if someone were to do that today, it would be a little weird. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you have to read it the way it's written. And people at that time didn't write numbers as exact calculations of mm -hmm. uh, quantities. Uh, even in Hebrew itself, when you look at the numbering system, they have like numbers one through 10, a mm. uh, hundred thousand and 10,000. Right. And then it's just, there were three, three, one hundred thousands, three, one, three, yeah. ten thousands. Right. And that's why you don't, when you read like a hundred thousand men, it's 10,000 times 10,000 or right. 10,000 times 10. Um, and so when you see that it's easier to write three thirty thousand 30,000 rather than with that system, than 29,437 mm -hmm. because that requires more space and Hebrew people at this time, paper's super expensive. They have to write on scrolls. And so they have to abbreviate constantly. That's why Hebrew doesn't have vowels in its alphabet mm -hmm. or in Greek, the vowels are removed and it's all capitals and they're, right beside each other. There's no punctuation. Yeah. It's because they have to conserve space. And so same with the numbers. Don't, don't write this long number 29,347 right. in words. Just yeah, say 30,000. Especially if it doesn't. And even if it's, even if the actual amount was say 5,000 people, mm -hmm. 30,000 gets the same point across if it's a lot of people, but in the mind of the reader at the time would also emphasize it's overwhelming odds. Five thousand doesn't have the same ring to it in that that verbiage. Yeah, yeah, or that context. Yeah, and so we see we see what's happening here. Israel's outnumbered because, as we see, Saul only has three thousand men. Mm -hmm. Yes, and only two thousand were actually with him. <laughs> One thousand were with Jonathan. Yeah, who leaves um, in a second, and so. Israel is now... So the Philistines now muster up this army. Mm -hmm. It's grand. They're coming after Israel. And the Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan, the land of Gad and Gilead, and Saul was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling because they saw the army. Yeah. So Saul defeated a small group with Jonathan. Then they leave. And he's like... He rallies the troops. Everybody's terrified because they see this army. And they're like, oh no. And they're ready to be attacked. Mm. And so Saul waited seven days, a time appointed by Samuel, which seems very sudden. Yep. This, there's no warning of this. We don't get told that he has to make this sacrifice. It's just all of a sudden Saul's waiting. 
Yep. Well, um, Samuel says, hey, just wait. Yeah. Uh, well, as for, as if I remember correctly, it doesn't actually clarify on this point any further. Mm-hmm. It just says Samuel told him to wait this long. Yeah. Which means, especially with the context later, we'll see it is a test. Yeah. So, so I'm going to read God. out the little passage, the confrontation here. Mm-hmm. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not go come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So his army's dwindling. Yep. As they're time they're routing on. a little bit. Yeah. Even though the battle hasn't even started. <laughs> yeah. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Saul said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and what you did not come within the days appointed and that Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Mm -hmm. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Idiot. (laughs) That's what it says. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Samuel arose and went to Gilgal. And the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. So he waits seven days. We don't, we find out later in the story Mm-hmm. That Samuel had told Saul to wait. Yep. Um, Colton, mm. why make a sacrifice before you go to battle? Because that's what you do. What? <laughs> okay. But we have a podcast here, so you have to explain to people why it's what you do as a king. Well, in the you know a lot more about this <laughs> than I do, which <laughs> it feels like a lot of pressure, but... Uh, that's okay. In, we, we can help each other. So I, I don't know exactly where you're going with this. Are you talking why the Israelites would do it or why someone in that time would do it? Just at that time. Uh, could you answer that question? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, the the idea is, is that you want the God on your side. Right. And so you would petition the God mm. to help you fight. Israel had a different case. You would pray or offer a sacrifice to see if God wants you to fight. Right. Because God's king, not you. Hmm. And so you don't just go to war, right? The In the law, there was the idea of uh, you don't go to war with chariots. You don't go to war with horses. Yes. You go to war by yourself. and But you only go to war when I say, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and I go before you. Yeah. And I go before you. So you will not win battles because of your army. You'll win battles because of me. And it, do- it does seem that Saul is confident. Mm-hmm. To, not confident because, you know, it, it just mentioned how everyone's depressed because they have to fight this super huge army. Yeah. But Saul is still inquiring of the Lord because he knows he has to go fight them anyways. Well, and he's following the command. Yes. The the original law command of before you go to war, mm-hmm. inquire upon me if I'm supposed if you're supposed to go. And he even well, says that to Samuel. Yes. Because we have to make the sacrifice. But. But he still betrays the Lord in this. Why? Well, because he was very specifically told to wait seven days for Samuel to come back. Yeah. Because Samuel's the one that does the sacrifice. Yes. That's Kings the don't do sacrifices. Yep. Yeah. 
it's yeah. So it's Saul's problem is not that he disobeyed God in making a sacrifice. It's that he disobeyed God in specifically in this case, he was told that Saul, that Samuel would make the sacrifice at an appointed time. Mm -hmm. And unlike there's a comparison here with Gideon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In one of the judges when God kept dwindling down his army. As Gideon. Yeah. Right. Um, and the whole idea God was saying was, if people are afraid, let them go. Right? If these people are afraid, get them get them to leave. If they drink water a different way, get them to leave until he only has 300 men. And then they fight with, like, instruments and jars and stuff like that. Um, because the whole idea was that you don't win because you have a sword. Mm -hmm. You win, or by numbers or technology, you win because of me. Yeah, which we'll see again here later. Yeah. Like said. And so with the whole idea of his army fleeing, mm -hmm. he's seeing he's losing, he's going to lose because mm -hmm. his men are leaving. But potentially the waiting of the seven days was to let the people flee so that the army got smaller. Yep. And you have to trust in God in those moments. Well, that's the thing. It, it That shortening of it is actually not the side of it I hadn't thought about. Yeah. But it is also sort of phrased around this because Saul is told to wait by Samuel mm -hmm. is phrased as though it is a test for yeah. Saul as well. Yeah. When, and the the reaction that Samuel has against him, it's not like, oh, you messed up. It's like, oh, this was the final straw kind of thing. Yeah. Or this was this was the event that took it away from you. This is the event that took... Despite him still offering to God, he's still trying to quote unquote obey yeah. God. He's just, he's not obeying. Yeah. And that also gives... Not properly. There, there's a, this story is interesting because it touches on a few ideas. Mm -hmm. Another one is God doesn't want to just be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped in the way that he has told you to worship him. Yep. Well, I don't know if you saw this. In this chapter and the next, which we'll get into mm -hmm. uh, with the eating thing. Yep. Um, this, do you think that, and I've seen uh, preachers talk about this too, but I don't know how strong it is, but people draw the comparison that He's being uh, pious. He's being mm. good. He's doing what needs to be done, but he's not doing it for the right reasons, yep. which is the problem. Yeah. Um, is this sacrifice, which is the right thing to do, just not by him, and not mm -hmm. and he was explicitly told to wait as yep. well, um, and how he uh, makes everybody fast in the next chapter. Mm -hmm. They're very pious and good things in a context, but because of this, he is still not obeying properly. Sort. Uh, yeah. It's going to say sort of like I, Eli, but it's not really the same. Well, no, I think it, it it's a it's a fashion. Mm. It's a similar fashion because we the whole book of Samuel has been doing comparisons of right. what is obedience or what is faithfulness. And you see somebody who, when God says to do something, he does it. Mm -hmm. And somebody who is doing the thing that he's supposed to do, but not doing it quite right. 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 And so the person that's doing the thing he's supposed to be doing, but not doing it quite right is Eli and his sons. Yes. They are priests. They are still operating as priests. They're still offering the sacrifices. Yep. They're still doing all this, but they're taking from it. Right. And so, yes, they're pious because they're doing their job. Just like Saul, he's offering a sacrifice, mm. but it's out of fear. And yes, he wants to win and he thinks it's in numbers. Against the explicit orders of God. Yes. Against the explicit orders of God. Whereas Eli is, he's doing the sacrifice, 
but against the order of God, he's taking from the food. Yep. Also hasn't heard the voice of the Lord in many, many years. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and we see that kind of having a soul because before he was yes, prophesying yep. and now God talks to him through Samuel. the prophet. Yep. Um, and so you see that separation as well. Do you think that's intentional? I think it's at least telling that's, you something. It's for um, making that this sort of, sort of thing is making the office of prophet because the king himself can't be trusted with the power entirely. Is that the idea? No, I think it's a reflection of the idea of God rejecting the king. Yes, like I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and same with Israel later on the whole of Israel when they mm. don't hear God because they're rejecting him. Right. And the clerical class remains aside from it so that they can judge the king as the voice of God. Yeah. But the and king can also judge Israel them. after the exile. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, after the end of the canon, when they go through the intertestamental period, yep. because of their sin, they also don't hear from God. Mm-hmm. And so Israel, like Saul, at a point in time through rejecting God and disobeying, doing the thing, right? They're making the sacrifices in their blah, 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 yep. but not in the right way. Yes. And so God also stops talking to them. Right. Just so, like he stops talking to Saul. The reason I bring this up is because most most of the preachers I've heard talk about this, because I have, mm-hmm. I have a lot of people like talking about David or Saul or yeah. um, Absalom, less so Absalom, yep. but um, talking about these people as a, uh, a good story about how the heart of God and the heart of man works towards God, like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, Do you think that they emphasize that Saul is doing this mostly for aesthetic purposes? He's doing it because that is what kings do in the time or because he is doing it to appear righteous, but not actually trying to be. Um, Most people would lambast Saul as being like the worst kind of human being, even at this time. Yeah. Whereas you seem to be more generous to him. Yeah. Because like we discussed previously, He's just been going with the motions. Right. He was just looking for his donkey. And then all of a sudden Samuel comes up to him and he's like, you're king. Poured mm-hmm. the oil of anointing on him and kissed him. And he's like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which to be fair is kind of what happens with David. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of shows up and he's like, you're a king now. Yeah. And so it's, it's there, there's a, there's a part of me that goes, Saul was never going to be king. Mm-hmm. The people made him king, and God made him king. Yeah, um, because of them. Yeah. Because of them. Um, and there's the whole sovereignty thing that's playing in there, because God also chooses him before the people choose him in the layout of the story. Um, but he hasn't... He, when he defends Israel from the Ammonites, he was farming. Mm. And then the spear comes upon him, yep. and he goes out and fights. Mm. And it's... He's... He's played very little agency in his own life. He he's a he's a competent individual at his farm. Mm. And he's tall and he's handsome. And they picked he is in a way kind of like a democracy, the product of the people. Yes. Very and, much so. And so he hasn't done anything that made him king. He superficially looks the part. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but as a result, he's thrusted upon this responsibility Mm -hmm. that neither he asked for. But then again, that's kind of life. 
you're you're thrust into positions yep. in life well and you're even samuel yeah even samuel yeah and like that the reason why i'm a little more mm-hmm. confused as to why you're emphasizing with saul is because almost every single uh ambassador of god doesn't really have much agency not in the mm-hmm. way of like they act on their own and god tells them they've done a good job is they act mm-hmm. as god's actor act as, as act as an actor mm-hmm. yep uh sent by god to do the thing but not by their own power but through his yeah um, um do you think that Saul's exceptionally so in this case i th- it with the lead up of the story i mm-hmm. think so um he also in hiding amongst the baggage is doesn't <laughs> want to be king right <laughs> and then and you see early on when he goes to battle he he rallies the troops. He tells them the Lord our God has saved us, mm-hmm. right? The piety thing again. Yeah. And so like you see him doing good. And then he makes a mistake and boom, he's removed. But in the similar way, so is Moses. He sure. makes one mistake at the end and then you can't enter the promised land. Right. I know we're, we haven't even talked about him, <laughs> like any of the later stuff that's come up, but... Uh, I think it's more for Saul's character because Saul is a character going, especially in the next yeah. chapter, having this solidified, how, how, what is the position on Saul in the Bible so far? Mm-hmm. Is Saul, um, if he is doing this aesthetically, yeah. if he is doing this to be pious, uh, people emphasize that a lot to show that it wasn't just out of nowhere that Samuel's like, oh, you messed up this one time, bye. It's yeah. more like uh, this whole time he's all, he like... He's only reigned for two years or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to interpret it that way, based yeah. on the previous parts, um, is that this is kind of like the end of the buildup, sort yeah. of like how Solomon was. We talked a little th- bit about this earlier, that yeah. Solomon fell away from God, not because of something he did in one night, but because it mm-hmm. was a slow building. But this just seems to be the test, yeah. uh, that the final test that then takes it away from him. That, or I would say, because this is his first sin that we see, this is the beginning of the decline. Right. And God, as we see, has already chosen another man. Yes. Who we know from the story of Ruth, which we covered, was the whole plan. Yes. Um, and Saul, it's, I think it's less that this is a buildup to like a final sin, but, and rather, because I think we see that with the spirit of kingship being taken away from him and the spirit of fear being given to him later on in the text. Um, This is more of the idea. You see this later on in the new Testament, Mm. but the uh, teachers will be judged more harshly. And so the idea of too much have been given much is required. Yeah. Kind of idea that you're King and a prophet, you shouldn't be making this mistake. You know, better as a King, as the command the in Deuteronomy, is way higher. you were supposed to have read this book every year, mm-hmm. the whole law. Um, and so, what are you... they supposed to have it with them at all times? Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to make a copy of the kingship rules and then read it. Right, 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 all the time. Um, you should, you know, the rules, and so do I. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and it's. I think that's more of what it is is there's a higher responsibility put on the king than the people. Yes. Um, sure. Okay. And so it's the punishment is grand in the same way that like, if you want to take it hyper-spiritualized, the greatest of the angels mm. 
Satan. Yep. Though Satan Quote. is not given, yep. is immediately uh, yep. condemned, and none of them are offered forgiveness. Right. As far as we are, as yeah. far as we are told. Yeah. That's all we need to know about that. Yeah. Yes. Because the idea is, is that somebody of that stature. Yeah. Right. It should should have somebody who's present with God. Someone who has a responsibility and as, <laughs> as big of a responsibility as the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, yeah. the one who represents God to the people messing up in this way is a big deal. Yeah. So yeah. that leads us to... I, I personally like to think that mm-hmm. Saul is, and a lot like a lot of preachers say, is that he is not fully in it. He is not yeah. there. It's shown by him hiding away mm-hmm. that he is not taking kingship. It's not that he's not taking it seriously. Yeah, it's that he is not the right man for the job, he's and not. his uh, and his uh, piety is for this is yeah. both righteousness in his eyes as trying to be, but mm-hmm. is clearly piety for piety's sake, as we'll see yeah. in the next chapter. He's he's half hearted, yeah. and it's because he's timid. He's right. afraid, as yes. it says. Um, but also what's interesting is Saul, uh, Samuel says to Saul, you have done foolishly, you have not kept the command of the Lord. Idiot. Your God. Forgot the idiot part. With which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom yes. over Israel forever. The Lord, who's the only one that can prove a counterfactual, um, has told right. us that this could have been, mm. um, which is interesting considering what we know about Ruth. And so... Yes. Yeah. But to be fair, this is also like, it is also similar to like, obviously this is what happens mm-hmm. with David. Yeah. Um, as Ruth points out, but it is also what uh, is promised to David and is also prof- promised to, um, uh, why not Jehoshaphat? Uh, the guy, Jeroboam. Yeah. Jeroboam the first. Yeah. Um, that he will have similar to David. He'll have the same promise. Mm-hmm. Is this if because, yes, if he obeys, which he doesn't. Um, this promise isn't explicitly made to Saul. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is still a point? Um, because it is mentioned later on in yep. this text and immediately followed by kings. Well, the way I think it could have worked is this. We know David marries Saul's daughter. Mm. Uh, Milka? I can't remember. Yeah. I think you're right. Right. Um Which is later on when the whole thing where he's like, okay, but you have to go kill that man and bring me all their... Yep. You know, yeah. Body parts. Circumcise them. Yeah. yeah. You have to circumcise them and bring them me the parts. And he does, right? Is so if Saul became and his family reigned forever, David would have been in that family. Mm-hmm. And it would have been through David and not Jonathan. Right. That the reign would have continued. Hmm. And so both things would have been satisfied. David hmm. would have been king and his family would have ascended forever through Saul, his. Sure. Father-in-law. My, yeah, that's that's potentially true. Right. So, like, that's how it would have worked out. Well, but that's a, a theory. But the problem yeah. is that with when you're dealing with God and his promises, he is the God outside of time. So anything mm-hmm. he says is just true. Like, if you, if you obeyed, but obviously he doesn't, mm-hmm. and God knows he won't. Yeah. So was that was that option on the table for him? Yes, but clearly he knows that he would never take it. Exactly. So I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Um, but that's an interesting yep. idea of no everlasting dynasty. Well, there, there could have been a world 
if Solid obeyed. And this is kind of an interesting thing about like, like the redemption of uh, our sin sure. is there could have been a world where if Saul obeyed that him and David could have had a father-son relationship instead of enemies. Right. But the thing is that weren't they already, didn't he marry, uh, did he marry Saul's daughter after Saul died? No. No. So no, it was already could, there. It's just he was. But he had to flee yeah. because he Already better because he threw a, a yeah. spear at him. And yeah. so like they could have had a good relationship mm-hmm. if Saul had been a good king. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that kind of missed. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. And if Saul is in heaven, right? Because well, of how it goes, mm-hmm. um, depending, right? If he is there, then they will experience that. But on earth, they never got to. Sure. Because Saul was a dumb, dumb idiot. It is interesting though that despite, despite okay, we are getting off <laughs> and getting bogged down a little bit, so I'm not going to bring it up. But I do think it is interesting that uh, Saul is not the prototypical evil king. Yeah, but he is the prototypical uh, Israel. He is yeah. Israel, the representation of Israel, whereas David is the representation of God. Yeah, um, exactly. But then you know Jeroboam becomes the representation of evil. Yeah. Uh, so. After this, the the raiders come out of the camp of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Three companies. One company turned towards Oprah to the land of Shul. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Oprah company Winfrey. towards yep. Beth Horon and another company towards the border. Looks at the valley of Zeboam towards the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshares, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel. For the plowshares, for the mattocks, and a third for the shekel, sharpening of their axe, and the setting of the goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor shear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul or Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to pass of Michmash. So there's a few things I want to talk about for this segment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the, uh, nobody has any weapons. So why did they all come here? Mm-hmm. Uh, despite not having, did they expect to make weapons here? Or is it more that they've been pushed back to this point? I think the idea is um, Israel has the weapons they're bringing are their, like, their own tools, farm tools, yeah. sickles yeah. for. You know, swords. Death scythe. Yeah. Yeah, death scythe. Um, you know, the 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 oh the hay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, pitchfork. Pitchforks for yeah. spears, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, hose. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> why'd you laugh today? <laughs> uh no, because the idea mm-hmm. of using a hoe is such a funny, It is. <laughs> like imagine the Philistine getting killed by a hoe. Mm-hmm. That would be hilarious. We gotta stop. So they use these farm tools because it's all they have. Because as we know from historical uh, work, mm. the Philistines have a monopoly on iron in that area. Right. And in the story, it kind of alludes to it because they would go to the Philistines to get tools. Yes, it does. <laughs> so before this battle. Yep. They would be using whatever iron they already had, which clearly yeah. is the tools. Mm-hmm. And then used blacksmiths to forge them into weapons. Yeah, but the Philistines took all the blacksmiths. So then and they can't why make not weapons. use bronze? Bronze sucks. Yes, specifically against iron. Yes, and that's what the Philistines have. Yeah, wasn't 
wasn't their armor still made of bronze at this point, but their tool, their weapons wouldn't have been. Yeah. I mean, if you're clashing a uh, spear, a bronze spear against the bronze, uh, iron spear, the iron spear is probably going to win. Yeah. Or a sword, I should say. Yeah. If you, the, sword the bronze shield. sword is going to get dented. Yep. It's going to, the, the blade is going to go dull real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's bad news bears for the, uh, <laughs> Israelites. Yep. Um, I mean, they're yeah, like you said, it's a bunch of farmers running out at them. But but this is interesting. So it goes back to the point of kind of like Gideon. Mm-hmm. Their numbers have dwindled, and they don't have weapons. Yep. So they're going to win because of God, mm-hmm. not because of themselves. Yes, if they win. If they win. Which so they're not happens? very confident at this point. <laughs> no. So it's Saul's failed, and they have no weapons. Yep. So they've got a bad king, and... <laughs> They're ill-prepared. So that leads us to the next section. Colton, take us away. For the next section? Yeah. Chapter 14. You want me to read it? Yeah, sure. So this is a story about Jonathan. Not Saul, not Samuel. I mean, it's sort of about Saul, but uh, one day. Okay, stop. Which day? That's, that's, that's my confusion. Okay. When does he do this? Why is it now open a story? Like once upon a time. So one day. Yeah. So I think what it means is, is that it's not a month later. It's not a week later, mm. right? It's, they're now waiting to be attacked. Yes. And they've split up into their groups. And so now they're kind of like, just like in this waiting area to go out. Right. And at some point, mm-hmm. a day, two, three after. Right. But while they're still waiting, Jonathan says, Let's go kill him. He does. <laughs> he says to his uh, his young armor bearer, uh, come, let's just go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But it does say he specifically doesn't tell his father. Yeah. Uh, Saul, however, was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, uh, among whom was Ahijah. Ahijah. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at this. Ahijah. Um, who was wearing an ephod. Ephod. Uh, Again, I can't pronounce Hebrew words. Son who where Ahijah, son of Ahitab. Yep. Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas. Yep. The son, son of Eli. Of Eli the Again, I mentioned uh, before Phineas yep. is gonna come back, Eli's gonna come back. Yep. Wearing an ephod. Yes. Um this was the priest. Uh just with this was uh at this point with this been the high priest? Um, is that what it's implying? Or he would have been... What's the point of bringing it up? So the idea is is that this priest is with the royal family mm-hmm. um, as a descendant of Eli's family, which tells you not good. Right. Um, and he's wearing the ephod. Yep. Outside of the tent. Yes. <laughs> not good. At the time he's not supposed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it does say an ephod, not yeah. the ephod. You're right. But it does seem that, okay, yeah. He's, I am being a little facetious. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is, this is good because it means that it's either, it's a, it's a distortion of what should be happening. Yes. Again, going back sort of to this piety thing. He is a priest representing God here. Yeah. But the way that's mentioning it and the fact that it's the son of Eli makes it seem like it's not what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, Jonathan going away from them seems to be a good thing, even from this onset. Yeah. Despite so, later it sounding kind of like he just, when he says he doesn't tell his father, it mm-hmm. does seem like he's just being foolish and brash. Which yep. actually, when I read read over it for the first time while doing research, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, 
well, it's about to say that this is a mistake because it yep. does it is phrased like it's a mistake. But if we have the context of, um, you know, Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree uh, with the priest and a few mm -hmm. hundred men, uh, yes, obviously this is because of the pressure that happened with Samuel. Yeah. But um, th this is not a good thing. Also, it's 600 men, right? Yes. His army started off at, as 3,000. 3, yes. It does mention in the previous chapter that they left um, yeah. for a different city because of Samuel. Mm -hmm. um, not because Samuel. I don't. Th I think he just leaves, actually. I don't think yeah. that Samuel tells him to leave. Um, even though we just read it, I just can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> but um, yeah, this... Uh, so Jonathan goes out to war mm -hmm. with his shield bearer. Mm -hmm. it's, and seemingly... On the face of it, not a good thing, but because of the context, it mm -hmm. is a good thing that he's doing yeah. this. Um, because Saul's not doing his job and hanging out with a corrupt priest. Yeah. Well, and no one was aware. Of a corrupt priest. Yeah. And no one, explicitly, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. At least no one that matters. Yes. Um, I'm sure there was a guy who saw him walk away, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, continue. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. The names don't matter. One cliff stood, unless it does. Do you have anything about the names? <laughs> what are the names? Uh, Bozes and Senna. Bozes and Senna. I don't think it matters. I think it's Ooh. just pointing out the location. Okay, so I didn't do the research for this, but this is chapter 14, right? Yes. Yeah. This is interesting. Um, this is where Joel calls me out normally and says, hey, you're, you, you're missing this very interesting folklore thing in the past. Problem is that I didn't come across it. I was just hoping you would. Uh, yes. So at a place called, so Kerbet et uh, Miktara is a small settlement not far from the pass on the south side of Wadi Swenet, mm -hmm. um, where the cliffs begin to get steeper. This area features some large outcroppings where someone could scale a cliff without being seen. Right. So he found a weakness in the Philistine army's yes. defense. Yes. A natural way in mm -hmm. and i'll skip a little bit but jonathan says yep continue. to his young heir armor bearer let's come go, come over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men these evil men mm -hmm. perhaps the lord will act in our behalf perhaps mm -hmm. it's a little weird what why do you think it's phrased like that hmm. i think it doesn't seem as faithful he's not saying god is with us he's I'm, saying that he is hopeful yeah. Perhaps the Lord will do something. He's doing it in faith. Yeah. But the phrasing is strange. I think what it is, is this man is Saul's son. Right. Right. So he's, he, he like Saul is in the presence of people that know God. He's met Samuel. Saul. He might've even prophesied. been there. Yeah. Well, no, he wasn't. He was in a different camp, but he would have been there as coronation. Yeah. He would have been there for many other of the kingly events. But. Exactly. Um, And with the way we find about, Jonathan later yes. is that he is more faithful than his dad. Much more. And he's willing to give over his kingship to the one that God has chosen. Yes. Because he's heir. So, And he has a great relationship with uh, mm -hmm. David. And he knows that him and his shield bearer are going to go fight an army. Yes. And so he knows, kind of like Gideon, that it's God that's going to win the battle, not me. Yes. So well, perhaps. Well, it is. It's in faith. Yeah. 
It's, it's God might do something. If we're going to win, it's not going to be because I have an army. Yeah. So why not just go us too? It also lends towards them being desperate. Yes. We need to do something. Let's mm-hmm. do it. If God is with us, let him be with us. That that yeah. kind of idea. Yeah. Um, so if someone reads it and saying they're just being flippant, again, with that previous thing, he just wanders off. Doesn't yeah. tell anyone. All of the men are there ready. He's just doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. And now he's just saying whatever. At least when I first read it. It's very flippant, I, yeah. but I don't think that's the emphasis of the text. The emphasis is on he has faith that if God is going to win this battle, it's going to be because God won mm-hmm. the battle, not because he has an army. So why not just go with him and his shield bearer? Yep. And why are they going? Nothing, it's as I'm going to continue from uh, verse 6. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Mm-hmm. The numbers don't matter. Numbers don't matter and saving. He's mm-hmm. doing this to save the army. Yeah. And to save the men of Israel who yeah. are about to be slaughtered. Which he's doing a kingly thing. He is. He's I'm doing gonna, a righteous thing. Well, not just that. That's what Saul was charged with by God. Mm-hmm. You need to save the people. Yes. You need to rescue them. You're the deliverer. Mm-hmm. Like Moses. Right? Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You go to battle by yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's showing already more faith than Gideon is. Um, yeah. Which we already made the comparison. Which... But- Saul is afraid because his army's dwindling. Jonathan's willing to go out by himself. In faith. In faith. Desperation. So it's not I just yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to walk over and God might do something. It's we need to do something here. I'm going to try and let it be in God's hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's happening, uh, uh, what's happening is uh, the armor bearer says, do that you all have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Mm-hmm. He's dedicated. He's going to go to. Yeah. Um, come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them uh, see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay there where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, hey, come up. Uh, they don't say it like that. I'm ad-libbing a little bit. <laughs> we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So he is not being completely foolish. Again, if so, yeah. if, you, or if you had the misconception that he's just being foolish, he is still saying that he's not going to just throw his yeah. life completely away foolishly. Mm-hmm. He is going to wait till the Lord tells him to go. Yeah. And through this sign. When you do something like this, mm-hmm. you see this all the time in war movies and stuff like that. A ranking member of the army will go up to the enemy mm-hmm. to talk to them. You know, maybe conduct negotiations, maybe conduct surrender terms, maybe, you know, you see it in Troy. I haven't seen Troy. Okay. Well, the, the Iliad then uh-huh. um, is there's a scene where Achilles, the great warrior, goes up to the castle of Troy by himself and calls Hector, prince of Troy, to come and fight him 1v1, yep. right? Any of those archers could just kill him. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a, there's a conduct yep. between them. And champion fights exist up mm-hmm. and through the Middle Ages. Yeah. This happens for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And so like there there are ways in which there's rules with warfare. Yes. And Jonathan and his shield bearer know that mm. if they come out to, to us, they'll talk to us, which means we can't get in and fight them. Right. But if we get invited in, maybe because they want to capture the son of the king of Israel. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't assume that the Philistines are going to be all nice and good faith. Yeah. But, but if they okay. let us in. Then we can win. Well, it's a, it's a way in, and it's still putting it on the shoulder. It's still putting it to God. 
they're yeah. not doing it themselves. They're saying yeah. it's on God. If God tells us to do this, we will do this too. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the Philistines are like, hey, look it, they're coming out of their holes. They were all like hiding because they were. They were yeah. all hiding and yeah. running. Well, and those two the things. Israelites are hill country people. Yes. They're they're they hide and live in caves. Yes. <laughs> and the Philistines are shore people who live on the plains. Mm. And so they see them as these poor which mountain are. people, which they are, yep. compared to these people living in cities with walls. Yeah. And the previous chapter did say they were explicitly hiding in caves and cisterns and stuff. Yeah. And uh, small dells and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is what happens when you're an un, uh, you're when you're defending your land mm. and you're outnumbered and outgunned. Is it's almost guerrilla tactics to an yeah. extent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way of, 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 well, not being exposed explicitly, but also they know that the territory better. It yeah. keeps the army from immediately advancing, but it all it does is uh, push off the inevitable. Mm-hmm. But now these people are like, oh, finally, they're coming out. <laughs> they're being brave to some degree or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so the men told them, uh, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson, <laughs> which is hilarious. It's hilarious because it's the Bible yeah. and it's, they record these two Philistines just trash talking. Yeah, poor hill country people. Yeah, come up here. We'll beat you up. <laughs> come on. Which is, you know, like every army ever has those people. Mm-hmm. Like that's so stereotypical soldier. Yes. Like <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan said to his armor bearer, "Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel." And so they climb up hands and feet, like just up the side of this cliff Mm -hmm. uh, with his armor bearer right behind. And the Philistines fell right before Jonathan. They get to the top and they attack them. Mm -hmm. His armor bearer followed and killed behind them. In this first attack, just him and his armor bearer killed 20 men in an area about half an acre. Mm -hmm. So the only thing is I didn't explicitly research the specific part. Is it saying that uh, in this one attack, it killed them in half an acre or is it killed them per half an acre? 20 men in the area of half an acre. Right. Which is... Is that saying they, they killed way more than that? And it's just like for every... Like it's just saying how much per area they fought? Well, the battle goes on, right? Yep. And so I think what it means is that when the others join... Mm. This that's is what the, happened at this point. Yeah. Okay. That makes so, sense. I, I agree. It's yeah. just while I was reading, I was like, oh, shoot. I don't know. But... Um, all right. Then what happens? Uh, Josh... So then what happens is, so <laughs> they killed about 20 men and then there was panic in the camp mm-hmm. and in the field and among all the people, the garrison, even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked and it became a very great panic. Does yours say a panic sent by God? Cause that's what mine says too. Yes. yes. So mine doesn't it. Mine has that on the bottom in the little italics, right? Mine has yours in italics. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and so, which is interesting because mm. he, as he said, if we go, maybe God will give them to us. Mm. And then God, when was the other time that the Lord sent a great panic through an army? Gideon. Yes. Yes. And? What? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Moses in the Red Sea. He's the, the, uh, the army of the Egyptians when they're in the Red Sea have a great panic. Right. Right. And then the waters come down on them. Right. And so 
Or a great confusion, which is great confusion here. Yeah. Yeah. And so the earth trembled uh, and quaked. Um, And so the Lord acts. They attack and then God hands them over to the, to Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And then the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold, the multitude had dispersed here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with them, count and see who has gone from us. When they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Yeah, because previously um, the ark was with the Philistines for a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, is this saying before or after the ark was with the Philistines? So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time mm. with the people. Four says, bring the ephod. Mm. Interesting. Um, for the time he wore the ephod before the people. Um, so I think what it's saying. I, I think it's after. Yeah. So Although it's not explicit. Because he sees Jonathan leave. Mm. He saw Jonathan had left. And he's like, oh, we, we got to go to war. Mm. Grab the ark or grab the ephod. Um, Which is the right thing to do, because that's what, but again, I personally lean into this being a piety thing, because this is what, yes, that's what the leader of the armies would do, um, but this is what Joshua did, and this is what Moses did, but Joshua specifically. Uh, The other armies, like Gideon, this is similar to Gideon, this is not what happens with Gideon, because he's not king, he's not in charge of the ark and stuff, but um, bringing the ark with them is bringing God with them in their eyes because of the time. What do you think? The using of the Ark interpretation is interesting because the last time they brought in the Ark, they lost it to the Philistines because they said, if we have the Ark, we can't lose. We can't lose. Yes. Right. And the person who brought it in was, uh, Ahijah's here, uh, great uncle. Yep. Um, but most translations and I think the original text and historians and scholars go with, it's actually talking about the ephod. Um, your translation, I believe, says... Mine says they have... Explicitly, they have the Ark with them at this time. Yeah. And so mine says the Ark, but in the abbreviation underneath the text, it says the ephod. Not... They have the ephod, not the Ark. And so I think it's right. a it's another one of those textual it's weird. changes. Yeah. Because later on in the story, they have the ephod. Because in reference... And if you remember previously, when I said Ahijah had an ephod... Mm. Right. The idea is that he's he has it and with it a device that God told the Israelites to make mm. called the Umum and Thumim. Yeah, the Urim and Thumim. Yeah. Yep. Um and it was a way to ask God divine to get divine answers to questions that the priest could use. Um uh yes and no answers. Uh and so Basically, what Saul's been doing here in having the priest beside him with the Uman Thuman mm-hmm. is uh, asking God divine, like, how's the battle going? Are we winning? Right. Blah, blah, blah. And now that he sees his son go away, he forgoes that and says, we need to go. Mm. Um which is very interesting. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. 
So he told Ahijah, stop talking to God. We need to go fight. Hmm. Another failure. Right. I, yes. It also is that piety thing to bring yeah. it with them, but without consulting yes. God about it. Yes. He's been consulting. His son gets into danger. He's scared. Or he sees an opportunity at the very least. Sees an opportunity. And knows his son is gone. Yep. Yeah. Knows his son is gone. And just like before, when fear gets introduced into him, he acts poorly. Right. So it, it, it does say that um, they, they assume it's from their camp that this has caused it. Yeah. Because they're like, okay, well, who's missing? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's not emphasized by Saul, at least at this point, that it's by God mm-hmm. that this has happened, but because yeah. of someone in their camp. Yeah. So likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Aven. Mm-hmm. The Lord won the battle. Not Saul. Not the sacrifice. Not Jonathan. The Lord. The Lord won it. Yes. Explicitly. Yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious through this whole text that it is through the Lord that this has happened. It's also been the story presented with the Ark yep. narrative. It was the story presented with Saul when he beats the Ammonites. He mm-hmm. says, no, the Lord won this battle, not yep. me. But and now Saul's changing. Yep. And it follows the, the examples through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, mm-hmm. especially Leviticus and Numbers, uh, less so Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. although it's in the beginning of Deuteronomy, Judges, Joshua, yeah, Ruth to an extent. This idea of God doing all of this work before them—it's continuing that trend. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan killed twenty men. Mm-hmm. The Lord caused the army to run away, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they chase after them. And then that brings us to Saul's rash vow. Yes, and a and a con- conundrum with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. So it opens up with. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath to the people saying, Cursed be the man who eat food until it is evening, and I am avenged of my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropped. But no one had put his hand on his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put on the tip of the staff and was at his hand and dipped it into the honey, and he put his hand to his mouth and said, and his eyes became bright. They, mm. um, yeah, he's less, he's not dying anymore. Yeah, he's not like droopy-eyed, like falling apart. He's like, ah, sugar, yeah. food. <laughs> Sustenance. <laughs> Sustenance. Um, then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, curse the man who eat food this day. Mm-hmm. And the people were faint. But Jonathan didn't know. Jonathan didn't know. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? What did, do Jonathan, think? did Jonathan make an error or does, is he just because he wasn't present, not held to the... Um, the text, in my opinion, is not very clear mm-hmm. on whether or not Jonathan's at fault for this. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's not later. It, later, he's cleared of it. Yeah. He is at fault for breaking the oath, but it's not shown as this oath being a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that Jonathan is under oath to keep it. Like he is under, uh, 
honor to keep it. Mm-hmm. But one, he didn't know. Two, he either he just this happened when he was away from people. Yeah, which or, is why would he have been away from people? I don't know. Why would he? I think it's because he was uh, winning the battle. Right. <laughs> Actually, that's very much possible. I think the oath could have happened way before yeah. they remet. Yes. I, th- I think it's Actually, when it makes a lot of sense that that would be the case. That yes. when Saul was like, "Get the people together, we're going to battle." He says, "Nobody eat food until we win." Yep. Right. And they're pursuing the Philistines. Yeah. Don't yep. stop. We're chasing them. Mm. Right. And on their way. Jonathan gets some of the honey because he's on his way back. Mm. <laughs> well, also Jonathan's shown as already having kind of this re- independent streak. Yeah. Um, my, the only issue there is that if he was with the people, but he still hadn't heard, he should have at least realized something was up. Yeah. Um, but it seems like this probably all happened within a very fairly short amount of time. Yes. Uh, because there's no way that Jonathan would have not known that that's silly. Yep. Uh, unless this was happening in at least the course of a day, in my opinion. Yeah. Although that's just my personal opinion. So the Philistines are then struck down. Mm-hmm. They chase them down. They defeat them and they take all the spoils of war. Yeah. Because no one has sinned. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, oxen and calves. And slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Yes. Yeah. Because of how famished and dying they were. Yeah. Also because they weren't faithful towards God. Didn't wait to cook it. Mm-hmm. So they broke the covenant vow of eating food properly. Then they said to Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a yep. great stone to me here. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, let every man bring his ox and his sheep and his slaughter them here and eat. Do not sin against the Lord by eating with blood. Okay. Here's the problem. If it's true Mm -hmm. that Saul has been pious to this point, but not uh, doing the right thing, as shown with the the ephod, as shown with um, his uh, doing this... uh, the sacrifice and sacrifice. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And doing all of this. Why does this seem super righteous? Because it does seem super righteous. For me, what it is, is he seems like he's trying to manage people and he doesn't have a grip on what's going on. Right. And so when it says it's a rash vow. Well, yeah, it's his fault that this is happening. Yeah. yeah. He makes the vow. And so he causes this event where they're they want to eat. And it already has been said previously in the lo- two chapters ago yeah. that he is the representation of the people to God. Yeah. So his choices are what God matters. And since they are doing this on because of the commands of, of Saul, because they're mm-hmm. so desperate to eat, at least that's my, what I feel is implied. Well, they're hungry, so they're just, yeah. they kill the thing and eat it right away. Yeah. Um, um, they have ignored the law because they are not in the right mind to do so. Mm-hmm. Or just because of Saul's failure. Either way, it's Saul's fault. Well, we know Israel has sinned a lot with being thirsty or hungry. Yes. and A lot. <laughs> and God's like, hey, if you just like Saul, right? Mm. Due to the pressure of hunger, they're breaking a law. Just like Saul previously, due to the pressure of fear, broke the law. Mm. 
he still could have held out. Yes, they're hungry, but like they they could have waited 20 minutes, start a fire, cook the meat for a bit. You know, it's the it's the reason that they're making these sins is because the pressure is built up in their own minds and they're they're letting the pressure get to them. Hmm. And then like every single time, Saul makes this rash, super quick, without thinking decision. Um, and in this case, he's overreacting. Yep. Like he's getting them to do the right thing. Just like before he makes the sacrifice. He just wasn't supposed to do it. Mm. Um, they aren't supposed to eat blood. So he gets them to cook it. Right. But it's after the fact. Yeah. You know what else he does after the fact? He builds an <laughs> altar to the Lord, which explicitly is the first time he has ever done this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, altars have been built to the Lord many times before this, uh, and for m- many different reasons, usually in dedication, dedicating something to the Lord. Um, but this one seems a bit different. He... It isn't explicit that he's doing this in commemoration of the battle, although I think that's probably what's being implied. But it is specifically because of after they made the, uh, they they broke the law by eating the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it has more to do with him trying to look righteous again, because he is trying to bring it back to we are righteous? He's been setting up this altar because mm-hmm. that's what people do. Yeah, or is this something that he just is? This is the right thing to do. Because I could be convinced either way. Yeah, I think it's, even if it is, I think a lot of his decisions are out of fear. Sure. I uh, mean, yeah, later on, it's explicitly because of that. Yeah. yeah, but I think this is kind of like a the foreshadow. Sure. Just like the foreshadow before of, of uh, Samuel doing right and then mm. becomes prophet. Like, it's, there's... The contrast. There's a, there's a level of character that he has that then gets accentuated, right? Pharaoh hardens his own heart and then God hardens his heart. Mm. Right. Saul is acting out of fear. God gives him a spirit of fear. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's a, there's something he's doing and then God applies upon that. So I think that's what's happening. Um, And then he prays to God, should we go down and will you give us the Philistines this day? Mm -hmm. God doesn't answer. Mm Mm-hmm. Why doesn't God answer people? As we when discussed. someone has sinned, yeah, or there's un, untold sin. Same reason for Aiken that battle isn't won. God is not with them because mm-hmm. there is a problem. Yep. Has someone sinned? Yep. No, because they won the battle. <laughs> You're right. But no. But why have. is God not talking to the prophet slash king? Uh, explicitly here. Yeah. Uh, because he's not doing what is righteous. Exactly. Yes. Or is it his son? Uh, no, because they won the battle. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to bring out, as you do, the Urim and Thummim. Yep. We have to figure out who sinned. The Urim and Thummim. Yes. Sounds like a Lord of the Rings thing. It's so good. Um, so this is the device we were talking about that the priest was using before. So while Saul was waiting for the battle, Ahijah is using the Urim and Thummim to figure out how the battle's going. And now they've defeated, they chased down the Philistines, and now Saul's asking Ahijah to bring out the Urum and Thummim again. Mm-hmm. Let's acquire Bacon God. But he's not answering. 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, he wasn't answering when he called, so he says, bring up the Urum and Thuman. Yep. This will get God to answer. Yeah. What I did before didn't work. This will force him to talk. Is that what's being implied here? No. No. But that's why I it's thought. reflecting his character. Sure. His decision making. God's not answering me. I'll use the 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 standard I'll use the standard method of communicating with God mm. that the priests use. Mm. Right. So he's problem solving, but he's it's right. There's a let just like with the sacrifice, just like with the making of the altar, he's just doing the 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 re, the religious thing. But he's not doing the righteous thing. So mm-hmm. um so they cast the lot between him and Jonathan. Yep. And Jonathan was taken. Yep. So it shoot the Urum and Thummim shows that John was the one is that's the problem. Jonathan. Yep. But he was the good one. Yep. <laughs> but that's that's more my confusion. Yeah. He so far explicitly hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah. And if they are truly chasing after in the same ish battle. Yep. Um, as this is all going on, Jonathan's not with them right now. Yeah. The ban that's been placed over the food has been placed over Jonathan without his awareness of yeah. it. He's only, he's although, only present now. Although it does say immediately after that there is a ban, which means yeah. he probably got back right and ate yeah. within a very short amount of time. Yeah. And the, the Urim and Thummim is with him present. Yeah. So it's now he's present. And Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will mm-hmm. die. <laughs> so he's taking responsibility for his actions. He tells yes. Saul. Well, he, yeah. I've sinned. I should die. I'm taking responsibility. Is on this honor, this ban that's been placed off over me, I have broken it. Yeah. I will submit myself to any punishment. Yeah. Unlike Saul. I mean, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, he's doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. Even though he just hasn't like David actually does done later. anything wrong. Yes. Yeah. Just like In David does opinion. later with David and Bathsheba. Mm. You've done this wrong thing. Oh, I, I should be killed. Yeah. Right. But that's what forgive, where forgiveness comes from. Yeah. Yes. But the, the thing is that here, Jonathan has not actually in, at least from my reading and from the research, he has not actually really done anything wrong. Yeah. They win the battle, which doesn't happen if, you know, the leader of the armies sins against God. Um, they, uh, he didn't know. And so there's no, there's no no knowing sin, unlike Achan. Like I, I comparing this to Achan quite a bit with uh, AI back in the book of, mm-hmm. jo- of not Jonathan, yeah. in the book of Joshua. Um, you know, Achan saw, he looked, he knew, and he took. Yeah. Um, Jonathan has not done any of those things except for take. Nope. Yeah. He is not aware. But he re- he realizes that this curse has been placed and so he will submit to it because that is the righteous thing to do. Yep. Despite him not doing something wrong. And how does he get responded? He gets responded by Saul says, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Yep. Basically, you're going to die because that's what he said he would do. That's what I said would happen. But I hope God should do more to me because I killed my son. Right. Because I made this ban and now my son's going to die because of it. Right. But then wait, the people wait, wait. said to Saul. Mine, mine says something different. 
What does it say? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die. Yes. So. Yeah. And here it's saying, God do so to me and more also. So it's okay. the same thing. But then you shall die, Jonathan. Okay. Yeah. Mine says, because if I, like, if I don't yeah. kill you, then God will do worse to me. Yeah. But yours is saying that God will do worse to me and you will die. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, is interesting. Then the people said to Saul, uh, shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Mm-hmm. Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, again, Jonathan's proven righteous. Yeah. They won because of Jonathan, which means he has not sinned in the eyes yeah. of God. I don't know if it's implying because of that, but uh, this is why I've been drawing this uh, connection with Aiken with AI. Yeah. So they won because of Jonathan's righteousness. Yep. Well, well, because of God, but Jonathan was righteous there. Yep. They cannot kill the man who saved them. He he is their mm-hmm. deliverer to an extent. Yeah. Um, because God saved them. Yeah. Uh, because of this man. So for this curse, which was done hastily, which he did not know about, and he did not mm-hmm. actively sin against, he can't be killed for it. Yeah. And but it's also God did God is not talking to Saul because mm-hmm. there is a sinful one amongst uh, a sinner amongst them, so right. to speak. Right. Uh, which is the point. Mm. Um, but Jonathan is only a sinner because he broke a vow that his father rashly made. Yep. And God is telling, like we've learned throughout the rest of the Bible, is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. When you make an oath. It's a big deal. Carry through with it. Yep. Right? We saw that in the judges with Jehoiakim. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. When Jephthah. You, Jephthah. When, he's, when he makes the vow and it's implied. Whatever that, next through, what, uh, walks through this threshold shall surely die. Yeah. And God's like, do it. Yeah. You it's his daughter. Yeah. Right? You made the vow. Mm-hmm. Do it. And so God is operating within the vow Saul made. Mm-hmm. But still, Jonathan, yeah. because of his... And I, I do think it is partially mm-hmm. because of his response. He is yeah. seen as righteous and spared. Yeah. Um, because he submits himself to it. Yeah. Yeah, humbly. Yeah. He doesn't try to argue against it like I didn't know, which uh, Saul will do later which, to an extent. as a comparison to Saul, you see when Saul is faced with terror, mm-hmm. right? He makes bad decisions that lead to bad outcomes and God rejects him. Mm-hmm. When under pressure, Jonathan obeys and he's saved mm-hmm. and he's seen as righteous before God. Yes. And so right there, you see that comparison and you'll see David lives the same way Yes, as Jonathan, um, which is cool. Yep. And so what happens, uh, what happens after just as a quick, this is the wrap up to the text. Yeah. This is the wrap up. When Saul had taken kingship over Israel, he fought against all the enemies on every side from Moab against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the Kings of Zobah, against the Philistines, wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yep. Then there's a little bit about his family. Yep. Um, just for that lineage thing. But then explicitly at the end, all of the days there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, 
he took them into his service, which is a lead up into David. Mm-hmm. But that ending, mm. verses 47 to 48, what stands out to you about that? Uh, that he was successful and, and completing the taking of the land that was promised. Mm-hmm. They finished the work partially. It's David who really finishes it. Yeah. Um, he continues to finish the work that uh, Joshua did, that the judges were supposed to do, but now he is continuing it on. Well, not that the judges were supposed to do, that each of the tribes were supposed to continue yes. taking over their own land. Yes. And they didn't. No. But the king does. Mm-hmm. And God specifically told Saul, right? You're going to protect my people. You're going to save them. You're going to deliver them. Yep. Right? You're going to be me to them. And he does it. Mm-hmm. Yes, he sins and God rejects him as king. He's, sorry, he doesn't reject him as king yet. Mm, that happens He, he rejects him as his family will not continue. Mm. He's still king. He still has to behave as king. He still has to do the things that kings do. But his Jonathan will not be king. Yep. Someone else will. And so he's even after this failure of his, he does throughout his reign, generally speaking, he was valiant and noble and good. Mm. As a king, he saved the Israelites, he delivered them from the hands of their enemies, and he won. Yeah. Right? He's Saul as being rejected. Right, his problems were with David and obeying God in these specific moments. Mm-hmm. But compared to the rest of the kings of Israel, far and above is one of the better ones. Saul? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Actually, of the northern um, kingdom, he is better than all of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, like, he gets this is what I mean by he gets a worse rap than I think he deserves mm. is yes, he did this thing that we just mentioned. Right. But David did some horrible stuff. Right. And Saul didn't repent and he didn't act right. Which is the point. Yep. He didn't. Right. But he was still a good king that saved Israel and expanded its border and won. Yes. And he obeyed God's original command to protect them and deliver them. Yep. It is also interesting that I don't know if this is intentional in the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saul struggles. Yep. And continues to struggle until he dies. Uh the good King David struggles and is successful in the end, despite mm-hmm. all the struggle. Yeah. Um, it is. And then his son gets to live the life, the, the peace, the only peace that Israel has truly seen. Yeah. Um, for one King. Yeah. Uh, except for a couple. And then it's a very kind of blown end. over. Makes a mistake. Solomon. Yeah. Yes. And, but they're not, they're not, they never go to war really with any other yeah. nation. Yeah, because of his intelligence and manipulating his opponents to fight each other for him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of my defense of Saul. Like I said, mm-hmm. like you asked me before, is compared to the worst, compared to the evil kings that Israel has after Solomon, he's one of the better ones. Um, and his failures, though big. Um, he is a failure of a king. He's a failure of a king, yes, but in his relationship with God and David. But as a but as but as a king over Israel, right. He does what he needs to do. He does what he needs to do and is considered valiant. Yes. But 
Yes. Yeah. That's my thing. This will be contrasted with David as we go later. Absolutely. um, A lot, because obviously the book is trying to contrast David and Saul Mm -hmm. already, even though David's not really in the story yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But uh, you're right. Saul is nowhere near as bad as it is explicitly in Kings with pretty much every other king. Yeah. uh, Except for maybe like one or two. Yeah. But... um, because he is the first and because it is trying to get this precedent of the relationship that God mm-hmm. has with his kings, there is an incredibly high standard, like you've talked about. There's an incredibly high standard, but he doesn't have an example himself. No. Right. David David had an example of Saul. Yep. So we saw, don't make that mistake. <laughs> yeah. And Saul isn't just... the One of the main reasons why... Because we've talked about him having no, not that much... Uh, uh, influence over his own actions. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have that much of his own uh, voice in what he does and how he yeah. does it, except for when he does, which then it's bad. Yeah. Um, and this is the contrast David later, where whenever he does go out on his own mm-hmm. and does his own thing from his own voice or mind, like building a temple or taking yeah. Bathsheba, his immediate response is to then Repent. align himself with God. Yeah. Whereas, I screwed up. I'm going to change this. Yeah, whereas Saul continues. Yeah. He doesn't repent. Yeah. Yes. You see in the sacrifice, even the building of the altar says mm-hmm. the first time he's done it and he does it in response to the men eating the bloody meat. And it says after he told them to then, you know, come over here and cut your meat and then do it. Yeah. And then he sets up an altar, almost like he's setting up the altar because of that, not because yep. of the battle. Exactly. Um, Or it's just a bittersweet end to the battle, which then he sets up an altar in a bittersweet matter. Mm-hmm. Either way. It's not that good. It's, All of these things point to Saul continuing in the problem, whereas yeah. David won't, Yeah. despite the both men being flawed. Well, and I think Saul, we're doing these comparisons throughout mm. the book. Saul is like Eli. Yes. He's, he knows better. And he has the responsibility to do better. And he has the responsibility to do better, but he's not doing it. Mm. And similar to how Saul in... Sorry, similar to how Eli, in moments of clarity, says to Samuel, make sure that when the Lord the Lord has spoken to you, right? Make sure to tell me what he said. Yep. Because he commanded you to. Mm. Right? Eli, in that moment, knew what was right. And he heard that it was a condemnation of him and his family. Yep. Right? And, and he goes willingly. And he goes willingly. And it's it's almost like he, he knows, but he can't. Or he... he it's he won't. Yeah. But it's he knows and it's he's sad about it. Yep. And Saul in the same way is he knows better and he makes attempts, but they're 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 half measures. They're yeah. mistakes. The the attempts themselves are hollow. And they're they're not explicitly against the law of God, but they are not in accordance to God's will. Yep. It's and potentially surface level piety. Yeah. And I think piety it's piety is not similar. bad on its own. Because David's also very pious, mm-hmm. but it's piety for the sake of being a good leader, not for the sake yep. of being with God. Yeah. It's very similar to Cain and Abel. Yes, actually right. very much so, yeah. Well, and we met, I mentioned this in another episode that I think there's a lot of similarities Almost like it's an, an archetype. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, between Cain and Abel and David and Saul. Mm. Um, did I mention them before with you? I don't know if that was with me. Okay. But it was a long time so ago. So for the audience member who maybe didn't listen to that episode, the comparison is Saul is a farmer. Mm. Uh, 
and is the older one and tries to kill the younger mm. who's a shepherd because he is rejected mm. and the younger is accepted. Right. Because of the heart. Because of the heart. Yeah. Um, and when he sins, he continues into sin, whereas a whereas David is righteous. Yeah. And why is their sacrifice or their life uh, accepted or denied? Because God denied Saul and God accepted David. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, you you will find yourself in situations and you just, you have to obey God wherever you find yourself, mm. whether you're the king or the peasant or a shepherd or a farmer. Right. Go all in. Right. In obeying God, wherever you find yourself, even if you don't want to be there. Yeah. 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 So, and again, with all those other, com- we make a lot of comparisons, mm-hmm. you know, comparing the Bible with itself, it's not a bad thing to do <laughs> unless you're saying that's what it needs to be. But, yep. um, there are a lot of types, uh, things in the Bible that act as archetypes or just types. Mm-hmm. Um, Cain and Abel is legitimate or illegitimate. You think the, uh, the historicity of that story actually is, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Um, it, it, it acts as an archetype. I very heavily recommend listening to Jordan Peterson's coverage of it. I think it's yeah. super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, the best sermon I've heard from the Bible from a non-Christian ever. <laughs> um, yeah. He talks about it as a psychological archetype, as mm-hmm. well as a, as a um, from the time what that would represent. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, you see that reflection here in kind of house, like yes, in the surface level things, but also in just why God chose uh, David over Saul, similar yep. to Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. It's the heart and yep. r- righteousness, and it acts as a type. Or if we talk about Achan with AI, or if we talk about Gideon. These are types and archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of validity in that. Yeah. There's a lot of points in the Bible you can do that. And I think it should point to your own life and show how are you acting in these typical or archetypical ways and which mm-hmm. side of them are you, are, you, are you on? You know, that's a large part of what these stories exist as. Yeah. And part yeah. of why we're covering them to go over exactly what is happening and why. <laughs> yeah. But we're done covering them today. Yes. Um, we're a long going section. to let... The next two chapters, uh, it's the rejection of Saul and the anointing of David, mm-hmm. chapters 15 and 16. And we're going to yeah, cover that. Saul. <laughs> That's what I learned from this. Uh, he's a sinner just like you and I. Dang it. You're right. <laughs> uh, and and you, the audience. Um, but we're going to finish this off. So where do you listen to more episodes? On our YouTube, Spotify, um, on our website, uh, please check those out. That'd be awesome in comments or on our email or on our website, ask us questions, talk to us, uh, tell us we're wrong. Tell us why Saul's the worst King of Israel or the best. Mm-hmm. Um, we would love to hear your ideas and we try to respond to everything. Yes. Um, if we miss except something, the hate mail, we don't respond to the hate mail because we don't want to, well, I want to respond to hate mail. Send us, a, <laughs> okay, don't send us hate mail, please. Um, I almost said so. We don't want to encourage, uh, Disunity. What's yep. the word? Division. Yep. Um, and at least hatred. unnecessary division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let God do the Tell dividing. us we're wrong, but, you know, do it in a loving way. Yeah. Or if we miss something, because this is a long section. Yes. Uh, we did have to skip over a couple of things here and there. Uh, tell us why some part of this stuck out to you. 
yep. or what we if we miss something that you find fascinating or just mm-hmm. something you want to talk about. Yep. Uh, we'll talk back and forth with you. We love conversation. That's the point of this podcast. So yep. uh, shoot us some messages. Check and out our Instagram. Check out our, uh, not Facebook. Yeah. We don't have Facebook. Unless we do. <laughs> no. I don't know. Uh, our X, Twitter. I'm just going to call it. Yeah. Threads. Yeah. Yeah. Right wing um, Twitter. Yeah. Because Joel's not here today, mm-hmm. uh, every fan mm-hmm. of this podcast should, in the comments of <laughs> the Instagram say we love joel just tons of comments so that he just doesn't know what's going on yep um and because you know we love joel yeah we do yep okay uh we should end this right i think we should okay we're ending it just end it yep.